0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Questions about heaven. Everybody's got questions about heaven. And so the whole Point of this sermon series over the next few weeks is to talk about the reality of heaven, but also how that reality affects our life, how it affects our reality. And so just to start off with, um, we were answering some questions. The first question uh, that I've been asked quite a bit is, will my pets be in heaven uh, with me? Will my pets be in heaven? Um, uh, my, my, my daughter asked this um, a couple of weeks ago, actually. And there is, of course, the standard Christian answer of no, it's pretty much the answer for most things no um, but I would suggest that um, that's kind of short-sighted number one there are actually animals in heaven so you read the book of Revelation you're going to see a lion and a lamb at least um, Jesus apparently rides on a horse so there are animals in heaven so animals do get into heaven um, some would say all dogs go to heaven but I'm not certain about that. But, you know, uh, animals are in heaven. Now, the truth is that the animals that we have as pets, they, are not, uh, they don't have souls. They don't have living spirits. But God makes a lot of things in heaven that don't have spirits or souls. I mean, the streets are made of gold. Gold does not have a soul. Uh, there's tree. There are trees in heaven, the tree of life. It also does not have a soul. It uh, doesn't have a spirit. There are things, actually, that God makes... For you and me, and so I would suggest that pets are one of those things, um, right? You know, um, uh, dogs are there uh, as man's best friend to be our companion. Um, cows are there for the steak, um, you know, and uh, 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 and cats are there to annoy us. And um, you know, God made animals. <laughs> God made animals for us, like for our. Enjoyment, And so if God did that in this dimension, if God went through that great effort to, to create something that he knew we would like and bond with, I don't know. I, I don't see why he wouldn't do that in the next dimension. I don't see why he would say, okay, no more fun in heaven. Uh, heaven is supposed to be the upgrade. It's supposed to be even better. So um, uh, Psalm um, 16 verse 11 says, that uh, in His presence, in God's presence, is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, what I told my daughter is, honey, if if if, if your pet cat, she, she she has a pet cat, brings you pleasure, if it brings you joy, then I think there's a strong chance that there will be your pet cat will be with you in heaven because God is creating an upgrade. He's creating something better. So at least what we have down here, you know, might very well be up there. I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer for you, but it's my best shot. Um, next week, I'm going to talk about um, will we still be married in heaven? Um, how many of you would say, you know, like you are married right now, if you had a choice, if you got to choose, how many of you would say that you would like to still be married? Like that's your your choice. Good. Ricky, dude, your wife's right, sitting right there. Come on. Man, got to train some of these young young guys. Even if you don't lie, lie in church, just lie. Oh, just kidding! I think I caught him off guard. Um, I caught Bob off guard last week with that question. He was taking notes, and uh, so he kind of got in trouble this week. But uh, okay, well, so we're going to talk about that next week. Um, there's a standard Christian answer, and then there's um, more answers to that. It's a little bit more, you know, in depth than a simple yes or no. Um, so I'm excited about that. But this week, I want to talk about a question somebody asked me after service last week. We were out there Fall Fest. I was in line um, trying to help people get things done, and one of our members asked, us, uh, asked me, he said, you know, uh, I've always kind of wondered about heaven, you know, won't I get uh, bored of things in heaven? So like last week, I told the joke about the, the palace, the mansion, and all the food, and, and the golf course, and all of that, and he said, you know, won't I, won't I get bored after like a thousand years of like the same awesome food every day, won't I get bored? And um and and I said you know that's, that's a valid question because whenever you think of things like here on the earth and just kind of elevate them, right? mansions and food and and all that and just just put them up in heaven, there is a chance for boredom. Um uh but the way that I would I would I would answer this is really you all just kind of answered this very question um when I asked you if you wanted to be married except for Ricky, you all answered this question for me. <laughs> um and, and, and it really is in the form of another question, which I asked him. I said, well, you know, would you want to stay, would you want to be married to your wife uh, in heaven? And he said, well, yeah, of course. I said, like, forever? And he said, well, yeah, like, forever. And I said, so wouldn't you get bored? Well, no, no, I wouldn't get bored. Uh, that's the correct answer, husbands, by the way. The correct answer is no, I wouldn't get bored. Um, I was, uh, I was, I was uh, checking out Roe a while back. Yes, preachers do that. They check out their wives. Um, and I was just looking at her, you know, and she said, and she said, why are you looking at me? I said, I oh, you know, just admiring. And um, she said, well, it's not like it's anything you haven't seen before. And that's true. We've been married for 11 years, a little over 11 years. I I've literally, I mean, we had two kids together. Um, she had the kids, but we co-labored like at home. We had the home birth. And so she's bearing down on my shoulders. I, I shrunk by a couple inches because she, we, she gave birth to Micah standing up anyway. Um, So yes, we've been through a lot. Absolutely. I've seen, and and I said, but honey, you know, I've also seen a sunset before. It doesn't mean I don't look out the window every afternoon because it's just beautiful. And so I just want to keep looking. So husbands, you can steal that, borrow that, use it. Don't even, don't, don't give me credit. Don't even bring me up in that conversation. Okay. (laughs) Pastor Harry doesn't need to be a part of that, um, but it, it is true. The things that God has made, like spouses, like children, like I could, I could, I could watch my kids laugh like forever. I would never get bored of that because it's so. There's so much. There's so much to it. It's it's different every time. There's more to it. And so the things that God has made, the best things of life actually are the things that if we got to choose, we would take into heaven with us. And that's, what, that's one of the things that I've been, co- I've been combating with this sermon series. Is heaven is real, and heaven is not boring. Heaven is real, and it's not like an eternal daycare. It's not like a really long nap. Because if there's one thing I've noticed while studying about heaven is that the enemy, as I said last week, has done a really good job of, of distorting our view of heaven. I mean, you think about it. He got kicked out of the place, and now he's telling us about how boring it is. You know, it's just clouds and angels, and you sing all the time. It's like a Hillsong concert, you know. It's like, well, that's great for an hour or two, but then, I mean, after a thousand years, are we still going to be singing "Amazing Grace"? I mean, for real, like, isn't this, just, isn't there more to heaven than that? Uh, MTV put out a meme that said, "There's no sex in heaven." Um, I'm not going to finish the statement cause there are younger kids in here, but, uh, MTV says there's no, and we talked about that last week. There's no beer in heaven either. And most people are like, man, there's no beer in heaven. There's no sex in heaven. What's up with heaven? You know, do I really want to go there? And, um, and the truth is, uh, once again, another question I would ask you is who invented sex? Who, cre- who created it? Who came up with the idea? It wasn't the devil. It was God. I mean, literally, before God had the idea, God invented romance, God invented uh, passion, God invented attraction, God invented, God came up with that stuff. Like, it wasn't even there until God said, hold up, angels, I got an idea. This is going to be awesome. Check this out. This is what we're going to do. He invented it. He had this idea, and if the God who invented what, you, what MTV apparently loves so much that they don't want to let go of it, if that was his beta version, like if that was the preseason, if that was his first go at it, and now he's like, okay, I've got something better for you, I, sign me up. Sign me up for heaven. I, you know, oh, okay, fine, we don't have that, but we got something better? For real? The same God who, who wrapped, I mean, think about it. He put pleasure in everything. He put pleasure, like, okay, so he creates apple trees, and he tells them in Genesis chapter one the apple trees have to produce apple seeds, right? So that you can get more trees. They have to reproduce. And so naturally, you know, apple trees grow and just drop seeds on the ground. No, that's not how it works. God said, hold up, hold up, hold up. Not just seeds, but around every seed, I want to wrap this really tasty fruit, especially with Red Delicious, this really tasty, Red Delicious apple around it. Why? So that the seeds get in the ground better? No, it doesn't help them get in the ground at all. It's so that you and I, when we walk, when Isaac Newton sits under a tree, something drops on his head and he's like, hold on. And, and we, we, we take a bite of that and it tastes good. Like even, even the trees, when God wanted them to reproduce, he said, wait a minute, we got to make it taste good. It's got to look good. It's got to smell good. And it's got to taste good. God wrapped pleasure in Almost everything and almost every element of our lives, right? Within our family, within our kids, within our, within our work. He, our work is fulfilling. We're trying to chase after our dreams, entrepreneurship, building things, designing things, you know, moving things, shaking things, the hustle. I mean, all of that, all the camaraderie, uh, uh, compa- competition. I mean, football comes out of something that God created. And so while I will mourn the loss of football in heaven... I'm looking forward to the next level. I'm looking forward to what's even better. If the same God that created competition and created testosterone and the drive inside of guys to just beat somebody, you know, just just beat them. That's why they just take them down. Just win, you know, like that thing, like that feeling, that moment, that glory when you hold the Super Bowl trophy over your head. Like the one who created that feeling and that emotion tells us he has something better for us. So, in other words, heaven's not lame. Heaven's not a long nap. Heaven's not the most boring thing ever. Will you get bored? I highly doubt it. Because many of us, even as we attested to right now, we would take some of the most precious things from the earth with us to heaven if we could. And that, the fact that you love it so much tells me you're going to get blown away by heaven. The fact that That this, which the Bible calls our present suffering, and the Bible calls our time of trial, and the Bible calls literally nothing compared to the glory that's coming, and MTV just loves that so much. I think MTV is going to love heaven. I think somebody needs to tell MTV that that before they went out of business, they would have loved heaven. That would have been awesome. Um, But um, today I want to, to read a couple scriptures to you, and then I want to share how heaven has impacted my life. Because I think in, in talking about heaven, um, we can get sort of very, you know, just in our heads about it. And I want to show how it applies to our lives. But first, a couple of scriptures. One, a quote from Adrian Rogers about heaven, um, about heaven being God's ultimate upgrade. Uh, he said, Heaven is all that the loving heart of God would desire, all that the incredible mind of God can conceive, and all that the almighty hand of God can create. If you believe in God... You need to believe in heaven. And if you believe God is good, then you need to believe in an awesome heaven, in a good heaven. Colossians 1 uh, verse 3 through 6 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. This is Paul. He's writing to the church. And he says, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ and of the love you have for all of God's people. That's awesome. I'd love to be known as a church that has faith in Jesus and love for people. Like that, 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 that that's his commendation. We heard about it. We All the way from, from where Paul is writing this letter, he said, man, the word is getting out. You guys really believe in God and you really love people. That's an amazing commendation. And then he goes on in verse 5 to tell us where that comes from. The faith and love that you have that spring from the hope stored up for you, where? In heaven. The faith and love come out of, spring out of, a hope that you have in heaven. Now, in another scripture, the Bible tells us that there are three things that are eternal, faith, hope, and love. Faith is seen here on this earth because we put our faith in God. We believe in God, both for uh, that he exists, but also we believe in him for salvation. We believe that he can forgive us of our sins, and we believe. That he has gone to prepare a place for us, for those who follow him, for those who believe on him, that they'll be going to heaven. We have faith, and people can see our faith by how it changes our lives when we believe in God. And love is also eternal. Love can be seen by the way that we treat others. But hope, that's not seen. That's hidden. Hope is stored up for us in heaven. Now, I know they tell you you're not supposed to get your hopes up. (laughs) But what do you do if it's already there? What do you do if God has already stored your hope somewhere other than here? And I would suggest if you're struggling today to have faith or to have love toward other people, it could be because you're missing your hope, because you haven't placed your hope up there. So really a big part of this sermon series is really just to try to get, you, to get your hopes up. About heaven, Are you trying to get my hopes up? Yes. Yes, I am trying to get your hopes up. I'm trying. I don't care if you're if you're if you're 95 years old. Have your hopes up because heaven's right around the corner. You might be 15 years old, but you ought to still have your hope up because heaven is something that God is preparing for you. It is a place for you prepared for you. It's a perfect dimension where God dwells and it's not a fairy tale. Like, like, I think sometimes we, we stick heaven right up there with, 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 rain, with, with unicorns and, and, and leprechauns at the end of the rainbow and all that kind of fairy tale stuff that, well, it sounds nice, but could it really be true? Yes, it is really true. If you believe in God, then you have to believe in heaven because God has told us time and time again that we are, when we die, we are going to be with him. And then at the end of the age, our bodies are going to be resurrected to finally live with him forever. And that's what my next scripture tells you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 through 19 says, And if Christ is not risen, uh, then your faith is futile. You're still actually in your sins. It affects how you live. Then also, those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ, they have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. In other words, we're in trouble. If our hope is locked into what God can do for us right here and right now, we don't have a lot of hope. Because so much of what God has promised us, yes, it is, quote, your best life now. But it is also above and beyond that. Because, as you're going to see in my life journey, it's not always your best life now. (laughs) Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense, but, but those who follow God still have hope because they have hope in heaven, not in this earth. I like how the message paraphrase puts uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. <laughs> but the truth is Christ has been raised up and he is the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. And so this is not just a funeral sermon. We talk about the sweet by and by and, and try to give people comfort who have lost loved ones. No, this is our hope. It's not our comfort. It's not our rest, it's not our, you know, feel better while we, while we cry about grandma. This is our hope for here and now that God has gone to prepare a place for us and that place is magnificent. It is above and beyond what we can even describe and even as we try to describe it. The beauty of it and the glory of it, it's a place of perfect justice. It's a place of perfect peace. It's a place where God has finally set the world right. It is God's ultimate upgrade. It's heaven. And if you don't, and maybe maybe you're here today and you don't even know that you believe in God. And you're not even sure about any of that. Well, today would be a good sermon for you to understand what you're missing out on. Um, If you find yourself without much hope, it could be because you're looking down. And I think God wants you to look up today. God wants you to look up to heaven. We have uh, uh, this life chart here that I made this week. And I would encourage you guys, just when you go home, do this in your own, in, in, in your own home. Just grab an 8 and a half by 11 sheet of paper and chart out your life. This is, my, this is my life. This is 37 years. You'll see the little ticks, one for every year. Zero to 37. Um, I didn't go any further because we're not promised tomorrow, so I don't know. Um, so for me, 37 is probably a little shorter than some of you, a little longer than others. Uh, but this is basically my life journey as I look back and as I see it. And specifically, this is my my spiritual life journey, my, my um emotional life journey. This is stuff that has been happening on the inside for me, not my circumstances. So actually, I haven't had that many bad circumstances in life. I mean, I've been pretty blessed. Uh, I haven't really had great loss or great sickness. You know, i, I I had the flu and diarrhea a few times, but, you know, for the most part, I've never been hospitalized. Well, I ran over my toe with a lawnmower once, but, you know, there's a few ups and downs of circumstances, but this really isn't my circumstance. This is more how I've felt about my circumstances. This is kind of the inside of me. So I'm trying to be open and transparent with you all. One, to let you know that pastors aren't perfect. And hopefully maybe you can learn from my story, but also how heaven... Um, has drawn my attention uh, heaven has always got me back on track heaven has always helped me um, this red line represents um, ground zero this is when Harry is just okay um, this is okay so I started there I was born very okay I was the most okay the world's okayest baby um, nothing really that spectacular about my birth I was it was, it was no miracles happening um, when I was like nine months old I did almost die so that was kind of cool uh, my parents, I was the first in my family, so they made all their mistakes on me. So apparently my mom didn't know that if your kid has like diarrhea for four days in a row, you got to take them to the hospital. So like I was, my skin was all like clammy and stuff and I couldn't pick my head up. And so they finally were like, hey, let's take Harry J as they call me at home. Harry J. I'm a junior. To say Harry J to the hospital. And so they stuck a big needle in my head and I almost died. So that was kind of cool. I tell my kids about that. But, you know, for the most part, my childhood, um, right up to, this is age 14 for me, um Right up to age 14 was pretty darn good. My, my parents love and still love each other, which is amazing. Two parents who love each other for that long. Um, I'm blessed about that. My parents love Jesus, which is also amazing. Um, my parents had a saying. They, they got saved like just before me and my, uh, just before I was born. Six months before I was born is when they found God. And um, uh, they were kind of green, right? They, they had a lot of things from their own family and their own life. Um, but, but but they had a saying that they used to kind of laugh about, and I think it's actually kind of true now. It is by Stephen Chapman. He said, um, speaking of his parents, he said, they didn't do everything right, but they did enough, and we knew where their hearts were. And so mom and dad, if you're watching right now, I know we always joked about that, but I think that's kind of what mom and dad would even say now, that they didn't do everything right because they weren't perfect parents. Um, but they did enough. And I think that's all any parent can be expected. And we knew where their hearts were. Like mom and dad, their heart for me and for Peter and for my sister was that we would know God. Like I remember one time in prayer meeting, I'm eight years old, Pete's like five and Mom's got me in a headlock in a prayer meeting, you know, and she's like got my head on and Pete's head here and my head here. And she's like, she's like just going to town praying, you know, and I'm just like, and she's praying, you know, God, use these boys. God, God, use them for your kingdom. Let let people get saved because of them, you know, call them to preach, call them to be a ministry. I mean, just use them. And, uh, you know, and, and then, I mean, last week, 14 people give their lives to Jesus in Texas. So anyway, so parents, those of you praying for your kids, like keep your hopes up, like keep looking up. God's doing things in your prayer life. in your prayer time. Your kids hear that. They know what your heart is. I know my, my parents, they brought me to church every time the doors were open. They were like, we're going to be in church because that their heart for me was that I would know God at an early age. They didn't know God at an early age and they had to kind of go through a lot of hardship and stuff that, that they didn't want me to go through. And so honestly, my childhood was pretty darn good. Um, at 10 years old, I started kind of talking, praying to God a lot. And at uh, 12 years old, I, I made a commitment not to date. I started fasting one day a week, started studying the Greek New Testament. I was homeschooled. I was getting closer and closer and closer to God, closer to my destiny. You know, I was fired up. God called me uh, in the ministry. I wasn't real sure what that was all about. But this whole period of my life, I mean, there were ups and downs, but for the most part, it was just, you know, going up, right up until age 14, um, and then for a few months, like, our whole church was really getting closer to God, and, and I was just, I was asking God to get everything, like, that wasn't of him to get it out of me, and it's called consecration is what the old school people call that, and, and, and I just made a commitment. Whenever God told me about something, I would just kneel, like, right there. I'd just kneel, just out in public, like, like, like I had a paper route. Peter and I had a paper route. I'd be riding my bike on the paper route. God would, God would speak to me about something I needed to give up, and lay down to him, and so I just stop my bike, and I just kneel, just at my bike, and just pray, and just, you know, I mean, that, I was just sold out, right? And so this is a period, a see, a high for me, um, not because I had everything that I wanted, not because my life was working out, but because I was so close to God, and I was so committed to God. And finally, on October 2nd, 1994, I'm 14 years old, uh, we have church, the little church in YMCA, and I go down to the front, and I kneel, and I pray, and I had come to a place where You can only consecrate so much. You can only get rid of so much until when you start to do that, you realize that after you've gotten rid of all the stuff, the real problem is you. So those of you that have been following God for a little while, you start to figure this out, that at some point, you're just, you know, giving a pig a bath. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's still a pig. And so, yeah, my behavior is getting better, but... There's a traitor inside of me. There's something inside of me that doesn't even want to do this stuff, that doesn't even want to follow God. There's something inside of me that is like against me. And so uh, I'm I'm kneeling, I'm praying, and uh, uh, my my pastor, Pastor Rusty, he says to me, he says, Harry, do you believe that God is able um, to do what you cannot do, to take out your heart, your pig heart, and give you your heart of stone, as Ezekiel says, and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that wants to obey God. And I said, yes. And it's by faith, right? And so that's what people would call, the old timers would call sanctification. And so when I said yes, I mean, I just felt the presence of God just pour over me like this warm shower just run all over me. I started speaking in tongues. And it was this, it was this awesome experience for me as a 14 year old kid, giving my life to Jesus. And I go back and sit in my chair and God speaks to me. And he says, Harry, I want you to preach for me. And that was like the worst thing God could ask me because I hated Public speaking, I, I was shy. I mean, I'd rather like you know live in a hut in Africa and marry an ugly woman than 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 preach. I mean, that's just like that's the worst. I'm like, oh man, God! But I just gave my you know I just gave my life to him. I'm like, what are you going to do? So I said, well, okay, if you if you if you help me, like I'll do it. But the minute you stop helping me, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to do something that I'm good at doing. And um, it was a high point for me. It was a great time in my life. And then. Um, I took another step (laughs) and, uh, this down here is when I was 16 years old, 16 years old, not, not a long time from 14, just a couple years. Um, I really slipped into a time of depression. Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't think I had a chemical imbalance. I really think I was just so focused on myself. Depression. I depressed my feelings. I pressed them all down, didn't allow them to come out, didn't ask anybody for help. Couldn't really process things that were happening in my life and my family around me very well. And I, 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 I never really talked to people about this. I never really told them about everything that was going on for me. But, but it, it just I, it was like I was sinking deeper and deeper and deeper, like this spiral of, of self-pity and, 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 and to the point where I was fantasizing about killing myself. And I was really thinking about suicide because I really, truly believed that the world would be better off without me. That, that 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 I was kind of somehow the source of the problems for everybody in my family, everybody around me. And and, and it was a really low point for me. It kind of culminated in a time when I got in an argument with my dad, which almost never happened. And I just kind of walked away and left him and went into my room. And that's when God just spoke to me and just said, Harry, you know, and I, I don't know if this is how God speaks to you, but this is how God speaks to me. He said, Harry, if you're going to kill yourself, like, just just go ahead and do it. You know, if, if, if you're going to, Do if you're going to kill yourself, just go for it. But if you're not, stop thinking about it. Like either get busy dying or get busy living. That's kind of the way God spoke. God kind of slaps me around a little bit. I don't know how, he talks real gently to my wife, but for me, he's like, you know, but part of it is because I had been here. Right. Part of it is because I knew so much. I've been so close to God that that for me to be at this place was really God was just like, Harry, you just got to you got to decide. You got to make a decision. And so and so right then and there, I just made a decision that I really did want to live, that I really I, I, I couldn't understand it. I, I, I couldn't rationalize it. I couldn't even um, explain it in words. But I figured that God had something for me, that God had heaven, that there was this hope of heaven. And I knew that down here, if I if I if I give up, down here, I'll never see what God has for me. And so I just decided that even if I'm gonna be miserable for the rest of my life, which is really all I could figure at age 16, that at least I'm going to I'm gonna die trying to live rather than live trying to die. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but in my mind that sort of made sense that at least my life is miserable, it's awful, and woe is me. You know, I might as well eat some worms. But at least, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try this thing. And so I began just clawing my way out of that. I just began climbing my way out of that. and It was difficult, and I had to rearrange the way I was thinking. And, and there's a whole journey, and I've preached about that before, but there was a there was just a span of, let's see, about seven, eight years. I was 24 at this point, um, where I really had had grown in my walk with god and in my just in my my personal health at age 24 i'm graduating bible college uh multiple degrees and a minor as well doing really well the world's in front of me right i have a lot of opportunities and ministries and churches calling me and it was awesome and then god spoke to me and told me that i was going to be offered a job that i didn't like but that i should take it and i said oh great i thought i thought he was going to make me be a youth pastor um Luckily, he saved me from that because, man, youth camp is like the worst thing ever. Uh, you know, 13-year-old boys, no deodorant, kids making out. You're just, it's, it's crazy. Um, so thank the Lord he didn't. But um, I said, okay, but I, I really need to know it's you. So I had these three things that had to happen. Um, you know, if, if I, I get a job offer I don't like. Um, these three things need to happen, and then I know it's you, and then I'll go ahead and do it. And so, um, Tommy, Tommy Tenney, you've heard, some of you have heard my story about working for him as his personal assistant. He offered me the job and I thought, man, I definitely don't want to do that. And, um, within 24 hours, all three of those things just lined right up. They all happened. And one of them was as crazy as somebody who doesn't know me needs to come up and tell me to take a job. Like how often does that happen? Never. I never had anybody just randomly. But yeah, I was at this church uh, and I was just going to church and I'm walking out the door and some guy's like, hey, what's your name? I said, my name is Harry. Oh, good to meet you. Glad you're at our church. Yeah. If you get offered a job, you know, you really should take it. I said, what? (laughs) Is that how you welcome everybody around here? I mean, are you all hiring or something? What's going on? But it's like God just like lined it up that that I knew that I knew that I knew that God wanted me to be Tommy's personal assistant, which is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Um, and so that began a decline for me, uh, not, not necessarily professionally, honestly, professionally, I learned so much with Tommy. I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it was difficult emotionally and spiritually. Um, I was being obedient, but I, I kind of had a stink attitude. I don't know if your kids have ever done that where, where they do what they, what you tell them, but they kind of like walk like this. Yeah, that's sort of what I was doing doing and um i was talking to papa uh tommy's dad uh one time and, and papa said have you ever heard of the ninth beatitude and i said no what's that and uh, uh scholars call the eight um blessed R's in matthew chapter five the beatitudes because jesus says blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the meek and jesus gives out eight blessings uh, that it's good to be well, he said, have you heard of the ninth one? And I said, no, I haven't heard of the ninth one. Where is that in the Bible? And he said, well, it's in Matthew chapter 11. And so in Matthew chapter 11, there's a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Uh, you've probably heard about him. He prepared the way for Jesus. He, he was the first one to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John called out Jesus as the Son of God and the Lamb of God, which means John understood more about Jesus than anybody else of his day and time. God even told him how the ministry was going to go. John, God told John that whenever Jesus comes, your ministry is going to tank and his ministry is going to go skyrocket. And so God told John so much about Jesus that John was on board. John believed in Jesus. John said, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. John even told his own followers, stop following me, follow that guy. <laughs> John was a believer until John got thrown into a dungeon. He got imprisoned. Jesus didn't come by and visit. He didn't send him a thinking of you card. He didn't he didn't post anything on Facebook about somebody pray for John. He did nothing. So like like some sometimes we're really quick to judge people who doubt God, but but until you've had God ignore you for a while, <laughs> You might not want to judge people so harshly because it's a different story when God starts sending your calls to voicemail and he doesn't return your text messages and you're praying and you're even doing what you're supposed to be doing and God's not it's like God's not even there. Like God's not even listening. Like I got all these degrees and I know New Testament Greek and I can preach and blah, blah, blah and I'm carrying a dude's Bible and booking airline flights. And he said, Well, have you heard of the ninth beatitude? I said, No. And he said, Well, you know, John the Baptist is in prison. And he sends, John sends messengers to Jesus and says, Are you the one, or should we look for somebody else? John, wait a minute. You know he's the one. You've been telling people. That's the whole point of your ministry. I mean, you could have renamed John's ministry Jesus is the One Ministry. That's it. I mean, he wrote the book on Jesus is the One. What do you mean? Is Jesus the one? No, he, John knew it up here. But when you start getting ignored by God and you are left in a dungeon, suddenly the question is not do you know. It's what do you believe is true? I mean, yeah, you can pass a test and say, I believe God is real and I believe this. But, but no, no, what comes out of your heart in hard times? And John says, man, I don't even know if you're the one. Could you give me some kind of sign? Tell me. Are you the one? And Jesus doesn't even answer him. (laughs) Jesus doesn't even answer him. Instead, he says, go tell John this. Tell him the things that you see and you hear and how the blind are are, are seeing, the lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, deaf can hear, the dead are being raised up, the poor of the gospel preached to him. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament. He's saying, look, tell him prophecies being fulfilled and give him this word of blessing. Blessed is he who is not offended at me. In other words, blessed is he who will let me do what I want to do and won't judge me for it. And that's when I realized, I think I'm offended at God. Like I've been offended at people before because people are jerks. But but God, he's pretty good, I think. But I realized that I had been obeying God and he hadn't been answering me. I had been doing what I was supposed to do and he just dropped me off. I couldn't see how my present connected to my future. And it's like God didn't even care. Like all the effort that I put into it, God was just like, oh, meh. And I realized I was offended at God. And that offense drug me down. That offense pulled me down. No, not below okay. I went down to an okay level. And so I went home and prayed. And I said, God, I think I'm offended at you. I think I think I told you you could do whatever you wanted, but I meant technically as long as these certain criterias are fulfilled. Like, I'm still single. Like, I don't even have a job at a real church. Like, I am stressed out of my mind. Like, hold up. This is not part of the deal. The bargain, you know, that you and me had. You would do this, and then I would do that. And Blessed is he who lets me do whatever I want and doesn't cop an attitude <laughs> and I had an attitude toward God and that attitude drug me down but the curve the, the pivotal point happened right then and there and I started moving upward upward until here at age 29 and this is uh, I'm in Texas so Texas is a part of the move upward um I get married. I meet Ro at age 26. We get married. Um, and at age 29, we have our first child. And I, 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 Micah, my second child, will probably hear this years later. Um, Micah's birth was just as awesome as Madden's birth, just so you know. I'm just saying. Both, both of my kids were awesome. Um, th- this really has more to do with me, not really my kids. Um, Age 29, uh, we started serving at Promised Land. Could finally see how things connected to my future. I was excited. Our marriage was awesome. Our kid, our one child was awesome. We had little baby Madden and and things were were rolling along for us. Things were really, really good. God was providing, you know, everything. This is a high point. This is actually higher than when I was 14. This is a high point in my life. And then uh, there's the drop. Um, and this is when I'm 31 years old. And this is what I noticed, which, by the way, if, if you guys do this at home, I think you'll, it'll be helpful because you'll notice some patterns. We often don't think of ourselves as cyclical or as people that are trapped in patterns. But actually, when I looked over my life, I said, wait a minute, there's this long build up to a high mountain. And, and then there's a two-year drop-off where I just like jump off a cliff. And then there's this long build up to a high mountain, and then there's a two-year drop-off. There's something about me that as soon as I, things get good, which, uh-oh, look out. As soon as things get good, it's like I can't handle it. It's like I self-destruct. It's like, it's like something happens that, that all of the years of my building up and learning and growing and all that kind of it's like just two years, both times I have this two-year drop of almost a similar distance. And it's massive, and it it wrecks me. And I started looking at this, and I'm like, wait a minute. Why in the world, why do I do this to myself? Why do I keep doing this to myself? What is it about me? I was talking to an older pastor this week, and I told him, I said, I've made this chart, and I kind of see this pattern. Things get good, and then I just plummet. (laughs) So I said, what do you think is going on? Because right now, I'm in a season of things being pretty darn good. I don't want to plummet again. I don't want to keep repeating the same patterns. And and he said, well, I think there's probably a lie you're believing up here that causes you to drop down here. There's There's a vulnerability you have when things are going good that you don't even see it coming. It comes at you in a different way and you don't even see it coming, because while you're working to move upward, while you're keeping your eyes on Jesus, while you're looking at that hope in heaven, while you're thinking about all the goodness that he has done for you, and you're, and you're concentrated, and your focus is up, when you're looking up, you're moving up, but as soon as you start looking down, you start moving down, the focus changes, and both times in my life, that's exactly what happened. I think there are two words that describe for me this, this drop. And I'm just being honest with you guys. I don't know if it applies to you or not, but this is, this is two words that really uh, describe. So, cynicism, 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 and entitlement. These are two words that, that at each of these curves were very present in my life, and actually the whole way down. Cynicism and entitlement. At this stage, I'm 14, and I know more about the Bible than my parents, and it's true. I'm not just being private. I really did, because my parents just got saved before I was born. My dad, you know, for instance, like my, my dad was working like 60 hours a week trying to provide for us, so he wasn't studying the Bible at home in the Greek New Testament like I was, and so my dad would like get me in the car. I'm 14. He'd get me in the car. he try to, he'd try to like tell me that I was doing something wrong, you know, and I would kind of feel bad because, because I'm, I'm a natural-born lawyer. And so I would just start talking to him about Scripture and the Bible. And, and pretty soon, he would sort of be on my side, you know. And then finally, he'd just be like, well, 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 you know, you, you know your mom says she doesn't want you doing it anymore. So I just, I, like, I don't know, but this is what your mom says, okay. You know, like, like at some point, it's not like prideful to say that I understood the Bible more. It's not, I mean, I was able to defend myself very well But I was cynical about my parents' lack of knowledge. I was cynical about, ah, they probably don't really know what's going on. I was cynical toward them. Cynicism is one of the most deadly. Uh, viruses that you can ever catch. I mean this is a this is a, this is like a cocktail right here. This this the, the 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 mixture of cynicism and entitlement because as soon as you become cynical you start looking at the people around you and you start wondering how come they're not doing more? How come they're not doing this? And then entitlement set, settles in and then you start saying, "Well, I deserve actually to be treated a little bit differently. And I don't think they're recognizing my contribution. And I don't really think that they're understanding exactly what's going on for me. I don't even know that they see me. I I definitely don't think they value me for how valuable I really am. And you never say those kinds of words to yourself, but you feel that. Or at least I did. And honestly, the drop for me was straight self-pity. I didn't have a chemical imbalance. I was just looking at myself and looking at how other people were treating me and trying to figure out if I thought that was fair. At the end of the day, I concluded with my cynicism and entitlement, no, it wasn't fair. And did it help me at all? No, it drug me down. Whenever you look down, whenever you look in, whenever you look at stuff down here, you start moving down down. Your your, your feet will follow your face. The focus of your life, the focus, what are you telling yourself? What are you thinking about to yourself? What are you thinking about when you drive in the car? What do your conversations consist of? If if your Facebook posts have more to do with cynicism and entitlement, I can guarantee you are going down because it is the enemy's way of when things are going great, at least for me, for him to hit me with that. And say, yeah, you are pretty spiritual, and you are called, and man, you are, wow, you're really, yeah, you really ought to be treated, you ought to be respect, you ought to be, and, and crazy thing, same thing, same thing happened over here. Only this time, I'm not in my family, I'm not with my mom and dad, this time I'm with my wife, this time I'm married. And this time, I start looking at Ro and wondering how come she's not holding up her end of the bargain, and how come she's not doing everything she's supposed to be doing. And it really hit me right here at age 31. We went on our fifth year wedding anniversary date, which we hardly ever had dates. And so I was kind of excited. We actually got to go to the Cheesecake Factory. That's where we had our first date ever. That's where we go almost every one of our anniversary meals, Cheesecake Factory. We get the same cheesecake every time. I get the same meal because I'm just that kind of person. And, and, and we finally got some time away. And we go, me and Ro, it's our fifth year anniversary. We sit down and there's no kids, no distractions. No, blah, blah, it's just us. And we didn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> because we really didn't know each other very well. Like, we knew each other. We were co-parenting. We were talking about the kids all the time. We were co-pastoring. She was, she was over at kids' ministry at Promise Land. I was associate pastor. I'm preaching. I am up here doing what I'm doing right here and right now. But personally, I'm tanking. Personally, I'm wondering when my wife is going to get her act together. Personally, I am putting so much weight and expectations on her that she couldn't possibly fulfill it. Cynicism and entitlement. And we had dinner and didn't really talk and it was awkward and weird. And honestly, much of our life was awkward and weird together. It was just like we used to be up here what happened like like it wouldn't have been so awkward if we would have just started off down here but the fact that just 2 years ago we were killing it we were intimate we were close i mean it was everything was working and now what we can't you have a conversation because we really don't really eh. And I was up late at like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm praying. I'm like, God, I, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I'm looking for. I, this, isn't, this isn't the kind of home I want my kids to grow up in. This isn't the kind of marriage I want to be in. Like, like, like you know, and, and I started going through all the stuff. I tried, I tried this. It didn't work. I tried that. It didn't work. I tried sending text messages. That didn't work. I tried the That's cynicism. All the stuff I tried and didn't work. That's called cynicism. Because basically, I'm, I'm absolving myself of everything. And man, I just wish she would respond to some of the signals I'm sending, you know? And finally, God brought a scripture to my to my mind, Proverbs chapter five. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of it would, it would offend you. But uh, check it out. Check out the beginning of Proverbs chapter five, verse 19. Uh, it's kind of descriptive, but it, it starts off actually with saying my son, uh, he's talking to his son. God is talking to his male children uh, his married male children. And he says, I want you to be like a deer in heat when it comes to your wife. And then he goes on to a few more descriptions, which I'm not going to read. But a deer in heat, like, pursue her, chase her down. Have you ever, like, anyway, I started studying deers in heat and how all that works. Because I'm a, I'm a student of Scripture. And it was, it was intense, you know? It was like the honeymoon. And I said, well, God, haven't you heard the saying, the honeymoon's over? I mean, maybe, maybe you haven't been an American for very long, Lord. But seriously, There's a time when the honeymoon is over, and then it's over, and then it's just over. And then scripture says, always be enraptured, or that word enraptured means intoxicated or distracted with her love. And verse 20 is what really made me mad, because it says, why should you, my son, be enraptured or distracted or intoxicated by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? And I said, hold up. I'm not attracted to an immoral woman. I'm not committing adultery here. I'm not going to shady websites god how come wait a minute the honeymoon may be over but it doesn't mean i'm ready to commit adultery isn't there some happy medium where 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 couples can just kind of get along together live in the same household maybe we're not a house on fire but hey at least we're still holding hands through life or friends like how come you got to jump straight to adultery cut me some slack lord i mean i'm not like a deer in heat but i mean i'm not looking at other women and that's where God showed me something that really has quite, is quite evident even here in my chart. That when it comes to relationship with our spouses, relationship with our kids, relationship with God, relationships, period, none of them are static. In other words, they're not fixed. It's not a fixed point. They're all dynamic. And what I had done through my cynicism and entitlement is I had put my side of our marriage in neutral. And I thought I was on a level playing ground, right, level field. Trucks in neutral. It's not going anywhere. But we're not on the level ground. We're on a slope. And you stick your, your life in neutral. You stick your marriage in neutral. You stick your kids in neutral. You stick your relationship with God in neutral. And you, you are voluntarily sliding down. You're disengaging because you're trying to protect yourself because you don't want to be disappointed again because your cynical, entitled self <laughs> can't handle it. And you disengage, and you drop, and I drop, and we lose because of it. We wake up at the bottom saying, what happened? How did I get here? Well, you put it in neutral. You stopped looking up. You started looking in. You started looking down. You started focusing on things of this world. And the realities of heaven, the realities of what God has planned for you and for me, are so not part of your thinking a part of your mind i think the 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 counterbalance to this the things that have helped me rise is a little word called thankfulness the antidote to pride is not humility the opposite of pride is humility the antidote to pride the way you get out of pride is through thankfulness i've never met a prideful thankful person And I've never met an entitled, thankful person. These things push each other out. Thankfulness pushes entitlement out, pushes cynicism out. Thankfulness pushes these things out. And that's why when you start realizing all that God has done for you and for me, When you start recognizing and living with that reality and it will produce thankfulness inside of you. And the more thankful you are for what God has done for you, the less cynical you become of those around you. The less entitled you become of what you think you deserve. Because you recognize you've already received far more than you have ever deserved. How can you hold it against people? How can you expect people to treat you in a certain way? When you have treated the son of God and I have treated the son of God so viciously and he turned around to my treatment of him and he died for me. He said you don't have to repay. You don't have to do anything. I will lay down my life for you for your forgiveness. And then after I lay down my life for your forgiveness, I will go to prepare a place for you that is the best place ever, that is awesome, that will fulfill you, that will that will complete you. I will give you this hope, not just forgiveness in the present, but hope for the future. That God has come to me and treated me that way in spite of how I've treated him, in spite of how selfish I've been, in spite of the fact that my life is pretty good. And And I have have been so cynical of people and so critical and so judgmental and so self-entitled. And God looked at a cynical, critical, entitled Harry and said, I still love you and I am still committed to you. Even at the lowest part, God always was faithful to speak to me. God, I dropped, but God dropped with me. God went with me to that bottom place. And that's where he is for each and every one of us. And it is the rise. It is the the hope that is up. (laughs) It is the hope that is up. that pulls our vision up. That lifts our head up. Scripture tells us that that he is is the glory. God is the glory and the lifter of our head. He he surrounds us and he lifts our head up. He, He adjusts our focus. And that lifting of the head. Changes the way that we live in the here and now. Would you bow your head with me and pray? I would just like to offer for you and for me this decision. That if you would like to enter into a relationship with God. If you would like to put your faith in him. And as my son, as my six-year-old son did this week. uh, Sign up for heaven. Uh, Allow Jesus to come into your life and change your life. Make him the boss of your life. I would just like for you just to pray this prayer with me right now. If you're going to pray that prayer, would you raise your hand? Just let me know that that's you. God's speaking to you. That's what God's calling you to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right. You can put your hand down. Some of us, maybe you're not at that place, but maybe you're in a valley. You're in a drop. And God's speaking to you about the way out and the way up. For some of you, you just need to hear the voice of God again. You need to hear God speaking to you, pulling you out of this, this pit that you're falling into. And if that's you, would you raise your hand? Just say, that's me. God's calling me to go up. I've got to go up. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. Lord, we come before you today. We confess our need for you. You are the lifter of our head, not, not, not us. You are the lifter of our head. You come to us and you speak to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us today. Whatever place they're in, whatever situation they're in, whatever kind of valley they are in, I know exactly what my valleys were, but I don't know what everyone's valley is. Whatever valley they have, whatever lie they've believed, I pray that you would bring truth to it. I pray, Lord, that you would speak truth. Let your word saturate our lives. Let, that we wouldn't just get our opinions and our advice from, from social media and from friends and from barbershops, but that we would, we would hear the voice of God, that we would read the word of God, and we would hear the voice of God speaking to us. Lord, speak to our heart. Speak to our motive. Speak to that thing that caused us, when we, everything was going good, that caused us to be so confident in ourselves so unaware that the very same bait that we took when we were 14 is the same thing the enemy is dangling in front of us again the very same lie that we believed about ourselves and about God are the same lies that come against us in different forms and different formats constantly changing clothes but still the same enemy Lord reveal to us give us eyes that see the truth Give us eyes that see the truth and give us a heart that believes. Lift our spirits or lift our hopes up toward heaven. Lift our eyes to the hills from, from where our, our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven, the maker of heaven. The one who has prepared a place for us, the one who has gone before us. Our forerunner, Jesus Christ, who's entered beyond the veil. And this hope we have as an anchor for our soul most anchors go down, (laughs) this anchor actually goes up. There's an anchor for us in heaven, and we hold onto that anchor. We hold onto the rope, and it helps keep us focused on where we're going. Speak to us, Lord. Even this week, as we write out our own life charts, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.